Inspiring solutions to save America one show at a time. Are you ready to get on board? Folks, it's so frustrating. I have warned so many people so many times that we were headed right where we are. The left-wing lunatics are trying very hard to bring back COVID lockdowns and mandates with all of their sudden fear-mongering about the new variants that are coming. Gee whiz, you know what else is coming? An election. They want to restart the COVID hysteria so they can justify more lockdowns, more censorship, more illegal drop boxes, more mail-in ballots, and trillions of dollars in payoffs to their political allies heading into the 2024 election. Does that sound familiar? But to every COVID tyrant who wants to take away our freedom, hear these words, we will not comply. Well, here we are, folks. That is exactly, in a nutshell, what all of this is about. And the icing on the cake for these people would be convicting him and then indicting him and sending him to jail then. And it's all been it's it's all been so so predictable. Three hours of bold truth and excellence. You've just signed up for the WBR Army. Welcome aboard. This is the Wendy Bell Radio Program. Welcome back, my friends. Hour number three of the Wendy Bell Radio Program. This is very exciting. We are inching ever closer, my friends, to 2 million podcast downloads. I just got word. Hey, get it. Wendy Bell Radio, wherever you get your podcasts. Download us. Give us a five-star review. Push us over the edge. We appreciate you being part of this family. Got to get on the horn now with John Guandolo. He is our national security expert, former federal agent, a Marine, a guy who knows how to how to handle himself and see through a lot of the nonsense regarding Hamas and these jihadis and communism and the infiltration in our country. John, welcome back, my dear. I want to ask you quickly before we get going, all of this stuff, so much pressure on Netanyahu for a ceasefire. It seems like we got a lot of folks in the world, John, who don't want Hamas to be destroyed. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And uh, I think when you hear people calling for a ceasefire, I believe there are some people that legitimately just, they don't want to see any war. And uh, for those people, I understand their heart, but the reality is uh, when, when war comes to you uh, to shy away from it, in other words, to allow all that you hold dear to be destroyed and killed people that you hold dear. There's nothing courageous or noble or honorable about that. That is, uh, that is allowing evil to prevail. And there's nothing for your Christian listeners or your faithful listeners. There's, there's nothing Christian about that. There's not, because that's not loving to, to defend what is good, what is right and just is always right. And um, it comes down to understanding who Hamas is, and more broadly, the, the global Islamic movement, and what they're actually doing, and what it will take to actually stop them. 
Well, why don't you pick up the ball and run with it from there? Because I know you shared something with me that you wanted to discuss. And it's really it's really a disturbing story of how we had the opportunity to neutralize like the number two guy in the organization, but didn't. And the consequences of that inaction, John, have been beyond palpable. Right. So um, for the listeners that have been following our discussions, this will probably make... Uh, even more sense, because when you look at and, and at the history in the last 30-plus years in this country, uh, and I'm going to stick to really from the 1990s, early 1990s forward, when the Muslim Brotherhood in the United States and, and globally really expanded what they were doing, and, and I can actually talk through the timeline of specific events that have happened that that we can see exactly what they're doing, where they're going, we see there are numerous trials and investigations in the United States and and supported by some of our overseas allies that really give us everything we need to know. And uh, FBI investigations, as well as historical documentation that we have, um, really lays out the network not only in, the, in North America, but in Europe else and, and the Middle East. So we know who the key players are. We know who the organizations are. And we are not capable of stopping this movement merely in the courtroom, merely by uh, suing them or criminally charging these organizations because they are building organizations and they are growing faster than we can estimate. Even Andrew McCarthy who is the chief counterterrorism prosecutor in New York, has said this publicly. You can't win this war in the courtroom. We have to be creative in how we do it. And your, what you just brought up, Musa Abu Marzouk, who was the political bureau chief for Hamas way back in the 90s, when we had him in custody in the United States, and he was the leader of Hamas in the United States, he had created and was running the biggest Hamas organizations in the United States. And because we were uncreative, and we didn't think, well, maybe we should figure a way to, you know, hang this guy. Yeah, get rid of or him. put him in jail for the rest of his life. Yeah. But they didn't. We deported him. That was our answer. Now he's the number two guy, and he's been all over social media and being interviewed uh, in the international media, uh, since October 7th, and of course, we know who he is and what he's doing. This is one small example of a guy. He was literally, he set up the Palestine Committee in the United States, the Muslim Brotherhood's U.S. Palestine Committee, which is Hamas in the United States. They set up three organizations to be Hamas in the United States. He ran the primary one, because he's the leader of Hamas, and then they created a fourth organization called CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations. The only difference between CARE and the people that massacred people in Israel is CARE operates here in the United States, and they primarily wear suits. But they should be treated no differently than the people that did what they did, because they support them. They directly support them. They support them through propaganda. They support them financially. We have organizations like the Islamic Society of North America, the North American Islamic 
Trust and many others that sent money directly to Hamas and Hamas leaders in the 80s and 90s and are still operating. Their leaders go to the White House, for God's sakes. So when people say, we don't like Hamas, like Mr. Biden, he's a liar because they're in his White House. And so the, the point of this is we have all the information we need to steamroll the Muslim Brotherhood. And again, for those not aware, Hamas is an inherent part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Their own documents describe it as the, quote, Palestinian wing of the Muslim Brotherhood. And the leadership of the Muslim Brotherhood in the United States for decades has primarily been, up until recently, Hamas. The Hamas leadership, Nihad Awad, the leader of Hamas in the United States, now, although they've turned the reins over to the Turkish Muslim brother, he's a, the leader of Hamas in the United States, CARE. So this is where we are, and we have to, if we look at this at the, in the broad perspective, number one, it, we can't handle this in the courts. This is going to require brutal, a brutal response from somebody, and that's why I say I haven't seen that somebody uh, since 9-11, in a position of leadership in the United States, which is why I always advocate this has to be done at the local level. you got to take away their ability, along with the, the communists, uh, to, to operate in your county. Does we that, should, does that it, make well, sense? We should, yeah, we should also underscore that these people either want to convert you or kill you so that they're hobnobbing around with us and are wearing suits and are advising, allegedly, Joe Biden. Uh, uh, this is a problem. Folks, it is a serious problem, and it's been allowed to fester, and now we've got a, a gaping wound. Yeah, and the, the one thing I want to talk about uh, uh, also is how, from their perspective, from Hamas's perspective, what will make them stop? Because the answer is the same as what will make the Brotherhood in Europe and Canada and the United States stop. What will make Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State stop? What, what will make Hezbollah stop? And from their perspective, uh, from an Islamic law perspective, they are required to fight and wage jihad so long as they have the ability and the material resources to do so. So they have to be brutally defeated for them to stop, because uh, from an Islamic perspective, Allah does not lose jihad. So when people claiming to be jihadis start losing battles and losing battles and losing battles, then they're treated as criminals in Islam, and they're not jihadis, and then those people are killed, and Muslims will kill them. We actually were able to orchestrate some of that uh, during the wars in Af Afghanistan and Iraq, when you actually have unit leaders that know what they're doing and understand Islamic doctrine. Well, so when we so, come back, I, I think I want to get a little bit deeper into this. How do we stop this? What is it going to take? Is it one leader? Is it one plan? Is it circumventing this administration? Do you have to wait for somebody like Donald Trump to come in? Let's talk to John Guandolo, our national security expert about that, next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. Let's get back out to... John Guandolo, our national security expert. John, the conversation for those picking in or just joining us is like, how do we destroy? How do you dismantle Hamas? Is there a plan that that we could implement or, or is that is there a single person who would be able to to make this happen, John? 
it it can be done. Uh, obviously, you can defeat enemies. Uh, historically, when we see, uh, and a lot of times people will mistakenly say, these are times when Islam was peaceful. And so it's not that Islam is a problem or that these jihadi movements are a problem. It's just that, you know, there are these radical elements that uh, pop up now and again, they have to be dealt with. That, that's nonsense. That demonstrates a complete lack of understanding of what Islamic doctrine, Islamic law, Sharia, what they call Allah's divine law, requires. And it requires that when the community, the Muslim community, has the ability and the material resources to do so, they must wage jihad against non-Muslims to establish a global Islamic state under Sharia. That's the whole that's the purpose of Islam, it's why they teach it to eight-year-olds. I was going to say, well, I was going to, I was going to say, this is why when you think about the people in Gaza, and everybody's like, oh, the poor victims in Gaza, the the people in Gaza are, are down with this with this Hamas government. They they vote for it overwhelmingly. It's baked into their culture, John. Well, because it's it's the focus of the culture is the Sharia. Everything they do has to be evaluated through the lens of Sharia, and whether it's a political decision, whether it's negotiations, whether it's national security, whether it's a business deal, whatever it is, you have to understand that, or you will be completely in a position of weakness, and you will get steamrolled, like we've been steamrolled. Understanding that that is the way it is, and by the way, I'm glad that numerous videos recently have come out where you have Muslim women, uh, talking about how overjoyed they are that their children died in the jihad, that their sons were killed as martyrs by the Israelis, um, because it means they they are immediately in paradise, and that's what Islam teaches. And this is not new. We have been, when I was in the FBI, 20, uh, 22 years ago, showing these videos, teaching, showing the, the, the doctrine, showing them the Muslim Brotherhood Network. And that's what I've been doing for over 20 years. This, this is not new. This is We've got hours and hours and hours of, of videos. When you look at the, uh, the men, the jihadis that are going to go, they're saying, I'm going to go do this thing, and I'm going to die in jihad and be a martyr. They're not frothing at the mouth crazy. They're talking very calmly, like Allah says this, says I'm going to, be in paradise, that's what I'm going to do. So understanding that and laying all that out to answer the question, in history, these issues have only been settled on the battlefield. They have to be defeated, and they have to be defeated in a tremendous way. They have to be obliterated. Hamas cannot just be defeated in this battle and hold them back. And this was I've been very clear when I've been interviewed and asked about this. It's one of the things I think Mr. Netanyahu did very poorly, is he thought we could just hold them at bay, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we would deal with it as it comes. They, and part of it is he's between a rock and a hard place because the whole world is saying don't take the actions you need to take. So I get that. Uh, I don't envy the position he was in. This enemy has to be defeated. Utterly. So I'll give you a few examples. After 9-11, we should have obliterated Saudi Arabia and Iran directly involved. 
but we hugged up and we what we told them was no big deal that you just killed 3000 of our citizens from the again using sharia as the filter when they take an action and we show submiss- submissiveness and weakness they're required to fight harder it's the law so every time we try to be kind every time cowards like general allen marine corps john allen falls over and kisses the ass of the uh, jihadi leaders in Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever because we accidentally burned a page in the Quran, that causes them to have to fight harder. And because our generals for 20 years have been grossly ignorant about this doctrine, we have men and women that are dead, and we lost the wars, despite the fact on the ground our troops and our Marines did a amazing job of engaging them in battle and killing a lot of them. You have to utterly break their back or they will not stop because they can't, because they're obliged to continue. If, for instance, in the United States tomorrow, the top 200 Muslim Brotherhood leaders were arrested and executed and we seized the property of these organizations and we seize the bank account. We said, this is no longer yours. And all of you, you're gone. You're either in jail for the rest of your life. But I just think jail is just the wrong thing. They, these people need to be executed. They need to be tried legally and executed. But you can set up. Look what, look what FDR did when we found the uh, six Nazi spies that came ashore. He told his attorney general, less than six weeks, I want him tried by military tribunal and executed. And they were. This is the this is the wussification of uh, of our country, ladies and gentlemen. We started the show with this John Guandolo, ladies and gentlemen, our national security expert. John, as always, thank you for being here. This this is all connected. We've become impotent. We have been emasculated. We have been almost feminized. All right. And now we're in serious, serious danger. Conversation continues after this on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. So this article in The Federalist today underscores, I think, a glaring example of how everything that we're told we must do to achieve some do-goodery end is actually the absolute opposite from that and achieves the desired goal to keep us segregated and angry. So if we need to do things to make sure certain people, black people, Hispanic people, whatever kinds of people, have more opportunity to do this or that, and that is what we are going to say is fair, you can't tell me that restricting people who aren't those things... And preventing them from doing well is fair in the least. It's taking from some and giving to the other. It's socialism. It's communism. It's everybody be the same. And for everybody to be the same, we have to penalize a very specific group of people. White men. White men are the scourge now of society. The the worst thing you can be... Look at any commercial on television, ladies and gentlemen. Look at any commercial, look at any TV show, look at anything. The white guy is the goof. He's the joke. He's the boob of everything. He's not strong. He's not a leader. He's not competent. He's been replaced. The great replacement theory. 
Well, that story is underscored here. Daniel Penny's fight to be free illustrates leftists' hierarchical two-tiered justice system. So here we have a guy, former Marine, I, never former, a Marine, all right, who on a, on a subway took action when a guy who was a, a lunatic was, was saying and threatening people. Here's your story. On Wednesday, a Manhattan judge denied a motion to dismiss several indictments filed against Marine Daniel Penny in relation to the death of an erratic ex-convict. The incident in question occurred in May or on May 21st of last year when Jordan Neely, who'd been arrested 44 times for criminal conduct and at the time had an outstanding warrant for felony assault, began threatening and getting violent with New York City subway passengers. During this whole episode, Neely allegedly kept repeating the phrases, I'm going to kill you. I'm prepared to go to jail for life. I'm willing to die. Little threatening. In response, Penny and two of his fellow passengers attempted to restrain Neely, which involved the former placing the latter in a headlock. Neely ultimately died during the encounter. New York City's medical examiner said it was a homicide. Well, Penny, who is currently free, this is your white Marine, $100,000 bail, was indicted by a grand jury in June on one count each of criminally negligent homicide and second-degree manslaughter. If convicted, the former Marine could face up to 19 years in prison, according to the New York Post. Well, in his Wednesday ruling, Judge Maxwell Wiley reportedly denied Penny's motion to dismiss the manslaughter case, quote, because of alleged issues with prosecution's instructions to the grand jury and claims that the medical examiner didn't establish that Penny's actions actually killed Neely. Sort of George floyd E. Yes, white guy on a black guy, guilty, thrown away. Wait a minute. It's shades of gray. Well, not when I'm the judge and I tell you to sit down and shut up. According to the Post, Wiley claimed Neely's death certificate and testimony from the case's medical examiner provided enough corroboration to establish that the defendant's actions caused the death of Neely. Penny's next court hearing is scheduled for March 20th. All right, so let's bring in a separate case. Unequal application of the law. Whereas Penny's ongoing prosecution and the criminalization of defending oneself against others against a threat or and others against a threatening agitator is egregious. What is particularly offensive here is city residents unequal application of a single standard of justice for individuals who basically do the same thing. Similar to the Marine Penny, Queens resident Jordan Williams, who's black, was charged by a Brooklyn prosecutor in June for his role in the death of an ex-convict on a Brooklyn subway. Same sort of story. Video footage of the incident reportedly showed ex-con to Victor Odrego, totally botched his name, I don't care, choking Williams and slugging his girlfriend, actions which resulted in Williams stabbing Odrego and his death. This led prosecutors to charge Williams with manslaughter and criminal possession of a weapon, unlike Penny, however. Prosecutors request... That Williams be placed on a 100000 cash bail was denied by a local judge. Less than a month later, a grand jury dismissed Williams' charges altogether. And poof, you are free. Now, neither Williams nor or Penny should have been charged in the first place. Both men were clearly defending themselves and others against threatening violent agitators. 
But New York City residents' decision to indict Penny and not Williams is further emblematic of Democrats' hierarchical worldview. The American left does not believe in a single standard of justice. Rather, it supports and actively fosters a system that levies punishment based on one's political affiliation or identifying factors like your race or your sexual orientation, not the merits of the case. It's through this distorted worldview that New York City Democrats believe that Williams, who is black and therefore oppressed, should go unpunished, whereas Penny, who is white, therefore privileged and an oppressor, should have the book thrown at him. For Democrats, the facts of the case don't matter. All that matters is whether the person on trial is wearing their team's jersey. Everything else is secondary. So now you are, of course, being not just judged by your skin color. You're being punished for being white. Ladies and gentlemen, this has happened in in three short years. The complete crumbling of of a fairness doctrine, of a way we should all be judged that has nothing to do with extraneous, superfluous exterior nonsense. Whether you're white or black doesn't mean you're good or bad or guilty or innocent. Here you have two dudes did the same thing. One faces 19 years in prison and has been sucked by $100,000 bail. The other, who's black, doesn't have to pay bail and is bounced from the system without even going through it. How is that fair? How is diversity and equity and inclusion anything other than exclusive discriminatory racism? That is the question of the day. And that is the truth of the day. Which means we really need this. You know, in keeping with this whole race thing, if white people are the oppressors and blacks are the victims, how about a wonderful wonderful story that has nothing to do with race, but involves a black woman who's homeless and a white man who just happened to see her and take notice and take action. A beautiful story from Steve Hartman from CBS News. In downtown Boston, Hope was fading for Ara Bolster. She'd been homeless for more than two years after a string of unfortunate events and abusive relationships. I had been in tears, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, God, when is the tide gonna turn? And that's when this guy walks in your life? Yeah. Lean on me. Ara says she'd been singing on the street, which she does on occasion, when a stranger came up to her. His name is Matt Shear. He's a radio news reporter. (laughs) Matt was out covering something else that day, but he sensed a better story in her. Can I sit with you and chat? Absolutely. And that's when Ara told him about her most prized possession. I have a song, and I wrote it here on the streets. 
The lyrics were written on a piece of cardboard she'd been using as a mattress. The melody, only in her mind. But Ara felt so strongly about this song, she told Matt her only wish in life was to share it with the world. And when Matt heard that... I thought, well, I've got connections. I know people. And so, a few days later... Come with me. I said, hey, I have a surprise for you. Let's go. Here you go. Got her in the car, and I told her where we were headed, and she was so happy. I'm taking you to a recording studio. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. No! I'm serious. No! Yep. Matt found an engineer and a producer. And what they all heard... Oh, I was blown away. The lyrics were powerful. How love can be both toxic and intoxicating. Ara has now uploaded her song to the online music platform Bandcamp, netting nearly $5,000 in downloads. But as much as she needs that money, she says Matt matters more. He's everything to me right now that I don't have. And he's, he's a hero. Finding someone who believes in you. We should try to get you singing the national anthem at the Sox game. What do you think? The best way <laughs> to feel like a rock star. And baby, if I die, you can bring me back to life. Uh, <clears throat> Isn't it just so simple? It's just so simple. If all of these stupid narratives and all of these people who really just want to keep us angry could get out of the way and we could do what we know how to do, so many of these problems would go away because they're manufactured and they're sold so commonly that unfortunate people believe them. But it is not true. There is good news all over. Do not go anywhere because coming up next on the Wendy Bell Radio program, you know what time it is. Bad Joke Friday next. All right, so some ground rules here. The rule number one, we don't read these in advance. They have to be bad jokes, not funny jokes, bad jokes. Sometimes they're funny and we love them. They are not read in advance, which is a danger. Because Brock sometimes doesn't pay attention and he clips off the end line. So hopefully he got his act together. If you're new to the show, we call it Bad Joke Friday. Ladies and gentlemen, I just flew in from New York and boy, my arm's tired. (laughs) I'm joking, of course. (laughs) Anywho, welcome to the comedy club. Won't you give it up to Wendy and Brock for Bad Joke Friday? All right, so I got my 53-year-old glasses on. I'm ready to rock and roll. Here you go. This is the first one. This is Dr. Richard Rafferty from the Disc Institute of Pittsburgh. A circus performer is driving home after a long day of training when suddenly he's pulled over by a police officer for having a taillight out. The police officer walks up to the guy's window, asks for his license, registration. As the guy's looking for it, the police officer starts looking around the back seat and he notices a collection of knives. Sir. Why do you have all these knives? Well, see, I'm a circus performer, sir. I juggle them. I don't believe you, says the police officer. Prove it. So the guy gets out of the car. He starts juggling the knives flawlessly. Just then another car drives by with two guys in it. One says to the other, wow, man, I'm so glad I quit drinking. The new sobriety tests look really hard. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know how he comes up with them. That yeah, was dumb, but funny. I like it. That's I like funny. It. There you go. What did one cannibal say to the other when they were eating a clown? Oh, huh. Does this taste funny? Oh, God. What do you call a horse? I thought it was going to be about chicken, but I'm not okay. What do you call a horse that only stays awake at night? A nightmare. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Prison might be one word to you, but to some people, it's a whole sentence. Oh, my. A perfectionist walks into a bar. Apparently, the bar wasn't set high enough. Walks into a bar. I got it. It was bad. It was bad. What do you call a short mother? I don't know. A minimum. Minimum. Wow. With you, I don't know. What did the right eye say to the left between you and me? Something smells. A woman looked into the mirror and said, I look fat, and then her asked her husband to give her a compliment. He says, okay, you have perfect eyesight. <laughs> if it has to do with that, it's always, it's always a knock it out of the parker. I'm friends with all the letters in the alphabet. I just don't know why. What was the name of the droid that told Luke Skywalker to take a shortcut and return to the Jedi? Hmm. Or to detour? Oh my gosh, that is stupid. What's the national sport of Mexico? Cross country. (laughs) I was at a bar dressed in my $2,000 suit and I was trying to come on to a beautiful girl. She says, I don't do casual sex. I told her that it won't be casual. I'll leave my tie on. (laughs) (laughs) five guys walk into a bar you think one of them would have seen it i have no idea what that means oh five guys walk into a bar okay i just blew that (laughs) you want to try to get (laughs) no it's the same one as the first one kind of so i botched it i beg your pardon go ahead Uh, how do i get a how do you get a country girl to go out with you (laughs) what do you do a tractor oh gosh grandpa to a grandchild go hide your Go hide. Your teacher is here because you skipped school today. Grandkid to grandpa. You go hide. I told her you passed away. (laughs) (laughs) I went to a school at Catatonic State, but I was expelled because I kept staring at people. Okay, a blonde at the Super Bowl. A guy to his blonde girlfriend at the Super Bowl. They had a great seat right behind the team's bench. After the game, he asks her how she liked it. She replied, I really liked it. The men in tight pants and all those muscles. I just couldn't understand why they were killing each other over 25 cents. Dumbfounded, he said, well, what are you talking about? She said, well, at the beginning of the game, they flipped a quarter and one team got it. The whole game, they kept yelling, get the quarter back. Get the quarter back. I'm like, hello, it's just 25 cents. That sounds like something. No. That's good. What you do you call like a loner pig that takes on National Guard in the wilderness? Wait a minute. What do you call a loner pig? A that, loner pig who takes, takes on the National Guard in the wilderness. That's got to be a wild one. What? Hambo. Oh, jeez. That's so dumb. It's so dumb. Did you know the leading cause of car accidents in Tennessee is deer? Well, it's crazy because I didn't know they let them drive. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Sorry. So dumb. My mate told me that he once dated a twin. Oh. I asked, how could you... Once dated twins. Oh, gotcha. I asked, how could you tell them apart? Mm-hmm. He said, Maria painted her nails red and Tony had a beard. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's bad. When is the moon the heaviest? When it's full, 
I know. These are good. <laughs> My wife yelled from upstairs and asked, do you ever get a shooting pain across your body? Like someone has a voodoo doll of you and they're stabbing it. I yelled back to her, no. She then yelled back down to me, how about now? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, do you know what a walk is? Well, a walk is what you throw at a wabbit when you don't have a rifle. Yeah. When I lived in the Philippines, <laughs> I made a living as a contortionist. Ooh. They called me Manila Folder. <laughs> that is so bad. That is so bad. Who thinks of that? <laughs> what do you have if you... Oh, wait. What do you have if your dog can't bark? <clears throat> a hush puppy. Oh, God. <laughs> Lance is a pretty common name these days, but in medieval times, people were named Lance a lot. Oh my gosh. I'm done. That's what did bad. the mommy rope say to the baby rope? Don't be naughty. Wow. Why do flamingos stand on one leg? Well, if they lifted both, they'd fall over, of course. Why couldn't the elephants go to their swimming pool? They were always losing their trunks. And I got one more, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, thank God. For a year. Oh, it's a long one. Forget about it. I'm not going to do it. It's too much. It looked like it was complicated. It's way too much work for it's, end of the day Friday. It's way too much for the last 38 seconds of the program. Ladies and gentlemen, remember, get the get the podcast, Wendy Bell Radio. Get it on your phone. Join our army, almost 2 million individual downloads strong. That is, that is amazing. Thanks for being a part of what we do here. Come on back on Monday. Be safe out there. Peace.